Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Urological Association's Young Urologists Committee podcast series. The goal of our committee is to address the needs and concerns of urologists who are 10 years or less out of residency. We hope you find this resource valuable as you continue your transition into practice. The title of this is going to be Thriving in Your Practice. Uh, we have a panel here. My name's Adam, and I'm a urologist in Milwaukee with Advocate Aurora Health, Adam Cadlick. We have Corey Hugan from UC Irvine Urology, who is in an academic practice. We have Jody Michaels from Minnesota Urology, who is in a private practice, large group setting. And we have Nathan Grunewald, who's in Sauk Prairie Healthcare in Wisconsin. He's in, um, he is in an employed practice in a small group. We're going to get started here. I'd just like the panel quickly, if you can just do a brief introduction of yourself, one to two minutes, uh, and focus on how, how you ended up in the practice that you're in now, and just speak about some of your goals just for the next year or so, and then we'll sort of get into things. So let's start with Corey. You've got the floor. Sure. Well, thanks for having me, Adam. Um, my name is Corey Hugan. I'm a urologist uh, at UC Irvine, and I specialize in urologic oncology. Um, I came to my practice uh, in its current form uh, by a little bit different route than most people probably. I did a residency at Loyola University in Chicago, um, and after that, I uh, had a military commitment with the Air Force, so I was a military urologist for four years. And then after completing my military commitment, I uh, went and did a urologic oncology fellowship at uh, the University of Southern California, and I finished that in 2017. And uh, kind of throughout my job search towards the end of fellowship, uh, found this opportunity at UC Irvine, and um, I guess I've been here now since July of 2017. And anything over the next year or so that you're working on as far as goals, Corey? Uh, yeah, I mean, I spent the majority of my time this past, I guess, a little over a year and a half um, just trying to create a practice. And um, now that that's kind of more up and running than it certainly was when I first started, uh, I think some of my my goals are now a little bit more academically oriented than um, trying to get the, the research aspect of my practice going as opposed to the clinical aspect. So I think my goal for the next year would be to work on uh, some more research goals. All right, great. We'll come back to that after we do the other intros here. Why don't we move on to Jody? Hi, thanks for having us. Um, Jody Michaels. Um, I'm with uh, Minnesota Urology, a large uh, LUGPA single uh, specialty group in Minneapolis, Twin Cities. Um, I came here by way of fellowship. Um, I'm originally from the East Coast, trained in Buffalo, New York, and came out here to do a female urology voiding dysfunction fellowship with um, one of my now partners, Steve Siegel. And uh, during fellowship, I found myself liking the Midwest more than I would have imagined, and um, after interviewing in a few places, I realized that I was happy where I was, and uh, they offered me a job to stay. Um, so I've been here since fellowship, so it's about six, 
seven years now. Um, my current position is a little bit different than when I initially accepted the offer seven years ago. Um, there's two sides of town. One is the St. Paul side, as one would expect. The other side is the Minneapolis side. And in our larger urology group, um, there's two two sides of our practice. And originally, I was on one side, and a year and a half into practice, one of our uh, female trained specialists left, and I moved my practice to the other side of town two years into um, being here. So about my fifth year where my current practice is, which is wonderful, um, I primarily see uh, female and voiding dysfunction. However, I still see general urology as well as about probably about 40% of my practice. Um, as far as goals for the next year, um, our office merged um, with another group in town locally, and I think one of our main goals or one of my main goals is to really capitalize on um, forming uh, relationships and moving forward in a large LUGPA group with uh, our other partners now, um, trying to get unified and being on the same uh, clinical goals, as well as um, continuing to foster a relationship with a uh, fellowship and um, research. So our group is unique in the fact that we are a large private practice group, about 37 of us, um, but we do run a female urology fellowship that's a one-year um, non-accredited uh, fellowship through four of our fellowship-trained physicians. So it's an exciting thing that we offer. All right, that was great. Let's move on to Nathan. All right. Oh, thanks, Adam, and I appreciate the opportunity to be part of this uh, group uh, tonight. Uh, my name is Nathan Grunwald, and uh, I'm a solo hospital employed urologist at a rural, independent, uh, very busy community hospital just outside Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, my practice mainly entails uh, traditional general urology, uh, things such as stones, lower urinary tract symptom management, uh, scrotal surgery, incontinence. And something I term primary oncology, which is essentially work up as much oncology but significant uh, treatment needs such as you know, cystectomies and whatnot, uh, we do not do in our institution. Uh, I also have an interest uh, and a background in business. Uh, prior to medical school, I worked for a number of years in energy consulting and research development. Um, as part of that, background, I also serve as our health system's uh, chief innovation and physician leadership officer. Uh, I would say I chose my practice mainly as uh, uh, the ability for me to start up a new service line and really serve a rural patient needs. Uh, it's something uh, very near and dear to my heart. In fact, uh, the choice of software healthcare was largely made because it actually represents my hometown where I grew up. Uh, and because of that, uh, it afforded me many opportunities and, and benefits to really tailor my practice environment. I think my goals over the next uh, year or so are really to, I think, uh, continue building my practice or adding an advanced practice prescriber. Uh, at this point in time, to help me, I'm quite busy. Uh, we also plan, as part of that, uh, to build upon some of the integration of the practice uh, recommendations uh, from the AUA on how to implement an APP. I think we're looking at expanding telehealth uh, as a rural clinic setting, as something we really need, uh, and really uh, working on rural advocacy is another big part of what I'm planning over the next year to five years, really. All right. Well, I think just even from those introductions, we see that we really have a good, diverse panel. I think it really shows just how, how different people's practices are and where they live and how they work. 
Um, I'll just introduce myself here quickly. So, um, I, I actually am, I am, I don't think any of you guys have had any other jobs. I'm actually, um, I, I started out out of my endourology fellowship at Loyola. I took a job in Holland, Michigan, worked there for two and a half years and, and was actually quite happy, but I had an opportunity to come work, uh, at Aurora and, uh, being, being from the area and, having my whole family here was a big draw and it was a good opportunity professionally so I came back so I'm in a I'm in a uh, 10 uh, urologist group we primarily cover metro Milwaukee um, I do about 50 percent completely general and then I do a lot of complex stones I do robots I don't really do cystectomies but basically any other um, oncology case from sort of a goal standpoint, sort of like Corey said, I, I'm, I'm about a year into this practice, so clinically things have gotten to be about where I want them to be. I I have a very strong interest in uh, healthcare innovation, both from a system standpoint. Uh, I also like medical devices, and I've been working on a medical device here, actually within Aurora, that's been very interesting. So uh, I try to keep my interest fairly broad as it sounds like everyone else does just to break out break out from some of the monotony of just the day-to-day clinical practice um you know i think from here i'd i'd like to transition just i think we'll start with nathan but like to hear thoughts a, a thing i think that keeps coming up in our meetings uh on the Young urologist committee is how how do we connect people how 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 do we network with our peers how do you go from being in sort of the the cocoon of residency and fellowship and then you're kind of in your practice people are busy you're having a family um, so I just like to hear what what people are doing as far as building up a peer network and where you're finding satisfaction in that as you enter those critical first few years of practice so um, if you could start. Nathan, and then after that, whoever wants to chime in. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. After going through, you know, several years of medical school and residency, you suddenly find yourself with an enormous amount of free time, which you just simply didn't have in the years leading up to uh, graduating from residency. So very quickly, there's a lot of things that are presented to you as options of what to do with all this extra time. And um, certainly uh, it's easy to kind of get right into the, thick of things as far as building your practice and, and just seeing patients and being staff, uh, for sure. Although I think it's really important, uh, as you mentioned, about really building that peer network. Uh, I think it's easier for, for you folks who are, you know, in groups that you have peers right there. I literally have no one in my group other than me. So it's uh, really important for me to do things like uh, attend meetings, uh, and get involved in both, you know, urology-related and medicine-related work groups uh, within those meetings. So I go to our state meeting, our uh, regional, uh, uh, central, north-central section meeting, as well as the AUA national meeting. And I find um, getting involved at each one of those levels imparts two things for for me and my peer network. One is just to get to know who else is around there and interact uh, with them and learn from them. But then also at the national meeting is really an education uh, event for me uh, to really uh, learn more about what we're doing nationally. 
Uh, interestingly enough, uh, I think this is something where urology is really struggling with at this point in time in building our peer network, and that's social media. Uh, Twitter is actually, uh, I don't know if uh, any of the other folks are on it, but it's actually quite helpful from a healthcare medicine standpoint. There's a lot of information uh, once you have a curated sort of list of who you uh, follow uh, on Twitter that can be quite helpful um, on many respects. So I do a lot of uh, Twitter work as well and uh, find that's a, that's a great way to continue to build my peer network, even outside of urology on some of the other national sort of healthcare-related issues. Let me just ask, or, uh, ask quickly. I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter, but I think I've tweeted once, and I have two followers, <laughs> and I follow two people. Um, Jody or Corey, any thoughts on sort of social media platforms? Are you guys um, on Instagram? So, are you on yeah, Twitter? Yeah, I'm in. So I, I've never tweeted. I don't know how to even operate Twitter on my phone. Um, and it's not something I've actually thought about pursuing. Um, as far as social media goes, I'd never really thought um, up until recently that it would be a platform to connect with peers. Um, fortunately, being female in urology is becoming less uncommon, and there's a following on Facebook, actually, of female and women urologists. Um, and it's quite helpful and it's quite astounding how many people um, post for questions or support or um, interesting uh, things that they find on a daily day basis as well as um, case descriptions. So it's um, a different kind of platform in a closed setting um, that patients, if any kind of identifiers of any sort are approved by the patient already, um, by the physician, but that's the only way that I've been able to interact with um, kind of social media presence um, with other people, and it's quite helpful. Um, otherwise, yeah, that, that, um, that really sounds like a good resource. Base, yeah, I mean, it's it's really um, been quite fabulous, and um, there's a larger group of uh, female um, physicians who are mothers who um, I'm a mom of two, so it's important to connect with others who are the like who, you know, there's over 40,000 women physicians on this group, which um, on a larger scale um, have been helpful. And there's a, a statewide group of physicians locally. So um, fortunately for me, I have a network of um, female trained urologists that we communicate pretty routinely just because we run a fellowship and have journal club and my partners are there's 37 of us and four fellowship trained in female urology and one I work extremely close to and I speak with on a daily basis so for me the urology peer interactions um, are very freely and readily available um, as far as interactions with other physicians, I think it's pretty important just to get face-to-face -face with people, not just calling after cases. Um, so you build that network of people who refer to you and you refer to them and you know them personally, not just by seeing their name as a referral base. It's important in a larger city where um, there are a lot of other practices that they can refer to that are outside of a healthcare system. Anything else about Twitter, Facebook, Social media type of stuff uh, from yeah. Corey. So your network <clears throat> probably a bit easier for you in academics. Well, yeah, I think it's a. 
I'm in a little bit different situation. Um, it's kind of a two different networks, really. There's your your peer network, which is, you know, for me would be a group of urologic oncologists, which is, you know, kind of slimming down the number of, of, of peers, I guess, you would be really trying to connect with on a, on a national uh, stage. And, I, and most of that, I agree, is, is done at meetings, the SEO meeting, the AUA meeting. Um, there's other kind of... Uh, sub, you know, sub disease meetings, if you will, you know, specializing in bladder cancer or renal cell carcinoma or what have you, where you kind of meet people, you, you go to the meeting, you, you know, share the science, but you also go out and have a good time. And, uh, I think those, those sort of meetings go a long, a long way toward developing the sort of peer network you're looking for. And I think there's a referral network then too, um, where your, your, your patients are coming from, uh, majority are coming from outside the system. And, when that happens, um, you kind of have to develop relationships with the local urologist in the area. So um, I, th- I think both of those kind of networks are important to develop. Um, obviously, I think communication is the, the, the only way that really happens is uh, communicating, meeting people, sending them a letter, um, that sort of thing. As far as social network goes, I am on Twitter. Um, I don't tweet a lot, but I, I consume a lot. So I follow a fair number of people. I Check it more than you know three or four times a day probably. Um, there's a lot of good, uh, not just urology Twitter that's certainly good, but med Twitter in general. Uh, depends on what you kind of want to follow and who you're following. Uh, I, I learn quite a bit actually just from the the tweets that are posted, new papers that come out. Uh, the links are oftentimes there. Uh, the discussions, the debates that are that are ongoing, uh, things you never thought about. So I think for me personally, Twitter has been great. I'm not on the other social networks, so I don't know how to uh, really comment on that, but um, I would highly encourage people to, to join that. It gets not only gets your name out there uh, to meet people, but you're, you're following people and you're staying kind of up to date with the, um, and with the conversation. And that really gels nicely with what we're trying to do with um, the young urology community. Um, there is an online message board that people participate in, we're certainly trying to get more engaged on social media platforms. We have, I, I, I think a, I think she's a resident who, who is helping us out with that. And I would just add too, just from my own perspective, I've, I've, I've enjoyed, um, staying involved with the AUA. I think it's the, you know, the national and the section meetings are still great, great ways to stay involved and to create a peer network. Um, I mean, I met Nathan, who's on the panel here at the section meeting. I saw him at the Wisconsin Urological Society meeting that last weekend. And that's, that's been helpful for me to just to continue to see the same, um, you know, the same people, the same faces. Because I trained in the North Central section and then I've just worked in it. I, that, that to me feels very at home. And I think, you know, when, when people get out wherever they go, it's, I, you know, to, to stay involved with the AUA, to get involved in the section meetings, even if you're not in academic medicine, uh, I, I think there's still an awful lot to offer. If I may, I, I didn't want to transition. I want to get into some, some of the more difficult questions on my list here. We're not going to put anyone on the spot, but just for the sake of our listeners, um, I think one thing we all see, and I can speak first, is uh, you know, potential unforeseen difficulties. You, you, you go from residency and fellowship, you're sort of on the railroad tracks, 
you know how far the next stop is and everything's fairly laid out for you. You get on, on to practice and you make a big decision by picking your first job. Yeah, you, I know I thought about it a lot. I talked about it a lot at home. I'm sure you all did too. And uh, I think if you talk to anyone, there's there are some unforeseen difficulties, some unforeseen barriers, even if you're in a situation that you're quite happy in. Um, so I'd, I'd like you guys to at least um, try to offer up something that was just a bit of a challenge, whether it was your first day or in, you know, your first couple of years. And I'll start. Um, one thing for me, you know, I, I, I joined a fairly small group and, uh, a small system and, and I wanted that for a lot of reasons. I found that when I was there, one thing I was missing was feeling like just being a little bit part of the bigger picture. Uh, we certainly weren't far from family, but, uh, everyone else was in the Milwaukee metro area and we were on the other side of the lake, uh, which was great, but we found ourselves missing home and not not being able to be at some of um, just those kind of day-to-day basic things. And so that was something I guess I, I was so used to being around my family my whole life to to be to be away uh, for those first couple of years, even though it wasn't far. I was I was surprised how much of an impact that made on me. Um, and that was one thing that drew me back. I, I, I think as far as dealing with that, I mean, um, you know, I, I kind of made the ultimate move by deciding to go and take another job. Um, but even before that, we were trying to do more um, kind of long weekend trips. As far as engagement in the bigger world, I got into the healthcare innovation space. I met with some people who were device inventors, tried to really purposefully seek that out and uh, sort of feed that part of my professional um, sphere that, that I, I – I had had been missing, and I feel like with the job I have now, I've got a bit more of that. Um, why don't we go back to Corey, just because we'll kind of go in reverse order, but if you could uh, offer anything, either from your military years, your time at UC Irvine, that's been a little bit harder than you thought it would, and how you sort of dealt with it. Uh, sure. Yeah. When you, when I first read that question that you emailed us, I, I, the two things immediately came to mind. Um, obviously there's more difficulties, um, than, than just this, but two things that immediately came to my mind for myself is, um, I didn't realize how much effort it would take to actually build a practice. Um, a lot of new faculty members in my past, I joined, um, you know, when I was at Loyola or when I was in the military in San Antonio, I was both in the military and, and um, a little bit on staff with the UT San Antonio folks and then at USC. When a lot of new faculty would come in, um, it seemed like they were taking over someone else's practice who was leaving. And uh, that wasn't the case for me. So it was kind of a new position. And it wasn't – I didn't have patients on day one. Um, I think I saw one or two patients in my first clinic. And to try to get your name out there in a kind of a saturated market uh, in, in Southern California and try to, you know, you kind of have to convince people to refer to you. Um, 
you know, referring physicians want um, something that they know is tried and true. And being the new guy in town, um, it, you you got to go out and meet people and and um, you know, hopefully have some good results from the from the start and and develop the people's trust to refer to you again. Um, so I didn't I didn't quite anticipate how much work that would be. And um, and I'll just say two, sorry. Uh, the, the other one is the amount of time I spend on uh, charting and electronic medical record. Um, it's it's much more than I had anticipated. Um, I personally find it very difficult to do that during the clinic time. Um, I don't have you know nurse practitioners or, or residents who come to my clinic. I don't have a scribe. Um, so a lot of this is done on you know nights, weekends when you know you really don't want to be doing that or during kind of what would be your research time in academia, um, kind of trying to catch up with just the clinical work. So I think those two things have been um, um, a little bit unforeseen. I mean, it should be a little more obvious to me in retrospect, but um, definitely things that caught me a little bit more uh, off guard than I had anticipated. Any thoughts from Jody or Nathan? I, I can definitely sympathize with, charting and I feel like I'm fairly efficient but uh it does feel like we're always behind. <laughs> yeah, so from from my perspective in a large urology group coming in and learning how to be what I would say is organizationally savvy. I think is pretty important. Um I think you have to know who you are as a person and what you're comfortable with. Um being that we are urologists, different people are comfortable with being in a room when someone's getting undressed or not undressed and the amount of time it takes to come in and out of rooms and if you need chaperones and the amount of time it takes for you to see a new patient versus a follow-up. Um, I think that every subspecialty, as I'm a subspecialist and I do see general urology, different kind of visits require different kind of time. Um, and to find that um, ideal schedule between clinic and the OR and trying to accomplish a million things in a, a short period of time during your working hours, I think is something that takes many years to develop, redevelop, and develop again. And then when you don't anticipate certain barriers, then someone in your organization who is extremely important to you, such as your MA, leaves, and then you don't, it's something that's a setback. So since I've been in practice, I've had MAs that have been with me two, three years, and then they've left, and it seems like my right-hand person is gone. So not anticipating those kind of barriers. And same thing with schedulers. When people leave, you have to all give the same message to the patient, that you're there for them, and that if you're doing a procedure, that everyone has the same idea of what the procedure is, because one person can't explain it one way versus another. So everyone needs to be on the same page, and you need to be a team. So I think that's really important in getting your buckets full and not having them empty and keeping them full and kind of um, replenishing them with patience and knowledge is really important um, on an organizational level. So I think that's important. And learning how to bill and code and to keep your clinic moving, I think, is something that you learn with time. And just coming into practice, it takes time to really fine-tune that, and everyone should be always fine-tuning that. Otherwise, I think you fall behind the curve, whether it's with EMR and coding and electronic medical records and um, CMS points and things like that and the ICD codes, and 
it's just something that everyone has to constantly be on top of and you have to have good people to train you or you have to put dedicate some of your resources to that. So that's one thing. Um, another thing is is being a female and being a, a mother, um, I joined a practice and I was single. I got married and had two kids and I didn't, as far as anticipating maternity leave and time off and making sure that my overhead was covered and making sure I wasn't um, burning out and getting the correct work-life balance I think is really important for anyone with a family. Um, but as a, a mother, it's something that I I really wanted to be present at work and felt bad when I wasn't at home and vice versa. I still struggle with that. Um, but um, having a good foundation at home and keeping communication between your partners and your spouse and kids is, I think, of utmost importance. And I, I'm very lucky to say is, a large, having a large urology group um, and being pregnant twice in three years, um, it's really important to have partners who have the same philosophy as you do and have your back. So I think that goes with, you know, men and women, but it's really important um, being a female in urology to um, recognize that. Yeah, I think one of the themes here is that I think a lot of the challenges that we all face are not urological. I remember... I remember being a medical student and hearing one of the attendings tell the residents, when you get done, the medicine is going to be the easy part. And I, I think that's true. None of us are struggling with how to work up hematuria. It's, it's the, it's the outside of work stuff. It's, I think that's, that's a great phrase, just being organizationally savvy. That's a, that's a different skill set. Nathan, anything on your end there? Yeah, I think uh, I think residency does a really good job of training us on how to come up with a differential diagnosis and treat patients. Uh, in general, most residency do a very poor job of handling everything else in medicine, which realistically actually takes up the majority of our time. And uh, I think it's interesting in hearing some of the other comments uh, about uh, you know organizationally challenged and, and, and how to build that practice. You know, the concept that there is no standard appointment, um, we have immense pressure to try and come up with a schedule that's going to work, but the reality is the minute the patient starts talking and sharing during the appointment, the best planned schedule can go right out the window, right? You think it's going to be a 15-minute appointment, turns out to be 45, and you know that that's what that patient needs. Compile or uh, add to that the idea that there's just immense pressure for us to see more patients and quote unquote be resilient in an ever increasingly demanding practice environment really becomes dissatisfiers for many people early on in their practice. And we're hearing more and more about physician burnout, um, nurse burnout, healthcare burnout really across the board uh, because of the, the increasing demands beyond what is actually medicine. It's the healthcare system, really. So I think that was uh, frustrating. Or I've heard from many people uh, that that was frustrating, but it's partly why I chose my practice in, environment um, and really designed it in a way that I could uh, set it up the way I felt like medicine should be practiced. So that's been quite helpful for myself. I think one of the other things that's come up that's been quite frustrating is the whole concept of access to care. Um, you know, I can treat patients who can seek me out and uh, and have the ability to actually see physicians, but uh, I, I'm finding more and more patients who are you know, the seemingly endless changes to how patients can access 
a, a care has really resulted in a bunch of confusion and frustration on their part, the anger at times, and and then really kind of the worst uh, one is really just apathy. They're just tired of the whole system. Um, and they they worry heavily about their bills and whether or not they can even afford the, the care that uh, they're seeking out that they, they kind of know they need, but they also don't want to bankrupt their family. And financial toxicity is very real in healthcare. So I think I think this 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 constant access to to care in the, in the regulatory environment is really um, uh, the business side of healthcare that has been, uh, in my mind, an unforeseen difficulty as you as you ask Adam, and, and and that's a real challenge. It really takes away from what we really want to do. The, the oath that we swore to to care for patients it just constantly gets in the way of our ability to to do that. Um, so I think that's been a, that's been a bit of a dissatisfier. Yeah, I think I think I think physicians are pulled in a lot of different directions. And one thing I think for us as as young urologists, uh, you're especially pulled in a lot of different directions because you've got the practice growth, the organizational growth. Many of us are starting families. You have kids. You have a spouse. You've got friends, and so we sort of serve a lot of masters. And that that's that's one thing I think really does burn people out when they feel that they can't they can't keep up with everything that's that's not a good feeling and it's something that i think as as you know people who were in our high achievers that that doesn't feel good to feel like you can't you can't quite do it all and that's a common theme i hear from a lot of people we've got time for one more quickie i think this has been Really, really great, guys. Um, I'm going to go back. I want to go back to Corey again. But you know, if you could just maybe talk for a minute or so, the the title of the podcast is how to thrive in your practice. The, the point is not how to pick a practice or how to do this, that, or the other thing, but how, how to sort of thrive. And I just would like to hear from everyone, um, not even from a personal standpoint, but how what 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 you would define as a person – Thriving in their practice. So let's go with Corey and then Jody and then Nathan, and uh, then we'll wrap up. Well, I think to thrive in your practice, I think you first need to figure out what it is that 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 means to you, and what each pr- person's practice is so different, and each person's goals of what they want uh, professionally and personally are so different that. Um, you know, my thriving is definitely different than, than many of my partners thriving and uh, many other urologic oncologists thriving. So, um, I, you know, I think if you just take a step back from, from your day in, day out, um, you know, don't think about how many cases you're doing or how many patients you're seeing, uh, but really, you know, take a step back and say, you know, what, what are the goals, what, what are my priorities, and, and then how do I make those things happen? Um, I think that would be, I guess that'd be the first thing I would do is do that, is say, what what do I really want to accomplish? And then you can start to think of, you know, how do I do that? And then you can actually judge whether you're thriving or not. So for me, um, I'm probably more uh, clinically oriented than I am research oriented. That's why, you know, I did medicine instead of kind of a PhD program. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure on people uh, in academia to to be the all-star clinician, the all-star researcher, the all-star family person. Um, 
you know, participate in all the hospital com- committees. And at a certain point, you, you can't do all of those things well. So I think uh, in order for me to thrive, I've had to say to myself, I'm, I'm okay not being the best at, you know, X, Y, or Z and, and, and live with that and accept that and then really, really try to do a great job at the things that I've set as my priorities. So for me, that's what thriving would mean. Um, and, and, um, obviously there's more to it than that, but, uh, you know, just off the bat, that's what that would mean to me. All right. That was great. Thank you. Jody, you're, you're up welcome. next. Yeah. So I, I echo everything that you say. Um, I think the most important thing for me is when I walk into work and when I come home from work that I can say that I had a good day and I'm happy with myself and I made a difference. Um, it's funny that you say you should evaluate your goals because I don't think we as physicians and people evaluate ourselves enough during this process. And I, before coming up with some of these questions, I had to think, you know, what am am I really supposed to be getting out of being a physician and being a successful, thriving urologist? Um, And I echo everything that was just said, but um, I think happiness is really important and being happy in your practice. You're at work the majority of your time and making sure that you're pleased with the people who you surround yourself with, that you have a good sentiment and feel good about the people who you're treating, and making sure that um, clinically you're doing the right thing. Um, and I think we all get caught up on um, trying to fit that extra person in rather than making someone go to the ER, but you're doing someone good rather than harm um, and helping someone because that's why we all went into medicine to begin with. And as long as you're happy at the end of the day, meaning personally happy, um, all the other stuff should fall into place. And I think what's important is the transition or at least for myself, when you go to an employed versus becoming a shareholder in a model of a large lug plug group, you can get caught up on a lot of the knit and gritties and organizational um, expectations and being an equal player in the game on many different levels. But being involved, meaning if you want to see change and as a young urologist when a lot of your partners are aging out, it's really important to become involved in your um, organization because that's the only way you're going to see the practice kind of driven the way that you want it to be. So become involved. Um, I've had a lot of joy out of becoming a board member um, in our group and trying to run the practice in the way that we want to see fit as um, my group just recently merged with another group in town. So it's important for us um, as young urologists to see where we fit into our community. So, yeah. All right. That was great. Nathan. Last but not least, well, I guess I'm last and I'm least. <laughs> well, yeah, I just really echo uh, uh, what the what you guys have said. I mean, it really is knowing who you are as a person. Uh, you really have to spend time sitting down and thinking about that. And uh, I talk with people about uh, who, who are seeking out some of those opinions to really just sit down and go over those goals. Uh, what's important to not only you but your family? What what are the goals for your family going forward? And, and talking about how things are going to change once you're in practice. I think uh, the ability to thrive really then uh, goes into you know seeking out opportunities that really align with those goals. And there's the traditional way of 
job searching for uh, physicians, uh, and I think it's uh, it's quite wise to be very creative um, in setting those things up, thinking outside the box, and you know, don't be afraid to pick up that phone and cold call somebody and say, "I have you interested in this," uh, which uh, here's what I have in mind. Uh, I think balance and in, in, in a really a great support system go a long way in helping an individual thrive as well. Um, I can distinctly remember uh, about a month ago I was in clinic. I was just in the middle of clinic. was kind of busy. And I don't remember what actually resulted in this thought, but I just had this, this thought. I'm in the hallway, and I'm like, I just love my job, and I love what I do. And it was this realization and just uh, moment that I had that it, this is exactly what I wanted. And I was super happy at that point, and still am. Um, but that was by design. That wasn't something that I think uh, happened by accident. That was really taking time to look at my goals, talk to my wife uh, and my family, and know what I really wanted in a career. And it, it's nice to know that you can plan some of these things out and actually have it come uh, to fruition and, and have that realization. And uh, it was just it was a great day. And, I hope everybody uh, has that sort of realization that someday during clinic or, or in the OR and you just, just love their jobs. Uh, at the end of the day, it is, it is a job, but it also is it's a, it's a noble profession and, and a moral obligation to our patients. And I'm happy it's, it's working out that way. I hope, I hope you guys are as well. Yeah, you know, all I would add, and this is the easy part about the last guy here, <laughs> um, but... <laughs> I think it's it's hard to look internally. Um, that's something we all struggle with, but I think the role of mentorship is really important, and um, that, that that may be its own podcast. But when I think about thriving in your practice or thriving in anything, I think it is different for every person, but you sort of know it when you see it. And I think we all have, probably have mentors role models, people from college, medical school, residency, maybe people in our own practices now that you can look at and just say, man, that person is just thriving. And, I, you know, to seek out those people, to emulate them, to understand what's what's making them tick and why that seems to be the case for them, that, that, that will help us on our own journeys as well. And I think that is not a bad idea for another podcast, which we're not going to do right now. We're going to end, uh, but I really appreciate everyone taking time. For more information about the Young Urologists Committee or to submit suggestions for future podcast topics, please send an email to youngurologists at auanet.org. And now, a quick word about AUA events coming soon. The AUA is bringing its Robotics Masterclass to Celebration Florida November 17th through the 18th, 2019. Course Director Vipul Patel has assembled an all-star faculty to share their expertise on single and multi-port robotics technologies. New this year are simultaneous live broadcast surgeries and interactive case discussions. Learn more and register today at auanet.org forward slash robotics 2019. Thank you for listening to the AUA Inside Tracked Podcast an official podcast of the American Urological Association. For more information, please visit auanet.org.